Welcome to Mind Love, episode 98. Today's episode is all about how to get the best sleep of your life. If I give people one piece of advice, it's consistency of your wake-up time. That turns out to be incredibly, incredibly important. I get it if it's Friday or Saturday night and maybe you want to stay out late or go to the movies or what have you. But when you start to look at what really moves the needle and what really affects sleep, it's keeping a consistent wake up time. That really turns out to be incredibly, incredibly important and, and allows for people to hopefully be able to wake up feeling refreshed. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. Hello, you wild minds. New nickname for you guys, by the way. You probably noticed it in the last episode. But a few of you men reached out and asked that I stop calling you wild women all the time. Totally understandable. And I thought, well, what better than wild minds? I love the term wild. I explained to you why I like the phrase wild woman so much, but wild minds is even better. I, for one, can relate to having a totally wild mind at times, but I think the word wild just encompasses our innate power, our free-spiritedness that we always think we need to tame if we want to fit in or, or be accepted in society. But really, our wild is where our strength is. It's how we're born, and we just need to remember who we truly are. And so speaking of wild, today we're talking about sleep. <laughs> no, there's no disconnect in the topic there, because even the wildest of wild beings still need sleep if they want to show up in full force when they're awake. We are the only species that tries to skimp out on our sleep. All the other ones just do it as part of their natural cycles as long as they need it. Over a year ago, I did an episode on the science of sleep, and I got a lot of people reaching out saying it was exactly what they needed and how it was a huge eye-opener on why sleep is so important. But today, we're getting actionable. Yes, even sleep is an action. This episode is absolutely packed with information, and we have arguably the most famous sleep doctor in the world. He's actually called The Sleep Guy, Dr. Michael Bruce. He's been on Dr. Oz 39 times trying to convince you all to prioritize your snooze. We will learn so much, so I don't even know how to pick three things, but we will learn why sometimes we sleep a full night and still feel tired, the best way to beat midday fatigue, and what we can do better during the day to sleep better at night. And for all of you coffee lovers, we'll also learn how to optimize our relationship with coffee, even if you think that caffeine doesn't affect you, which is something I've always said, but stay tuned because there's way more information on that. And lastly, I have a power tip for you guys, especially you high achievers or people on the go that really need an extra kick called the Napa Latte. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the morning mind love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. 
You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self. And you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Dr. Michael Bruce to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So I rave about how important sleep is. I always get enough sleep. (laughs) Almost always. I really prioritize it. But it does seem to be something that people have to be constantly reminded of. I feel like people have heard so often that sleep is important, but they have a really hard time internalizing that and actually living by those standards. So why is sleep so important? Well, first of all, here's the problem is nobody really knows 100% why we sleep. What we do know is that when we don't sleep, really bad stuff happens. We know that sleep affects every organ system and every disease state. Literally everything you do, you do better with a good night's sleep. But people don't really associate sleep with positive outcomes. People don't realize that sleep is directly affected to pain perception. Sleep is directly affected to weight loss. Sleep is directly affected to depression, anxiety. Literally every single thing a person does, sleep has an effect on. Yet we constantly see people cheating themselves of a good night's sleep. And it's always baffled me because, let's be honest, sleep is healing, that's what it is, right? Your body heals while it sleeps. That's kind of one of the most primary aspects to what is sleep and how does it work. And yet, it seems like people are constantly doing things to prevent themselves from getting that healing, whether it's drinking coffee late at night, drinking alcohol late at night, staying up late. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you can kind of screw this up. And I just feel like people don't understand what the true consequences of it are. Why do you think it is that we're so resistant to really wanting to get a good night's sleep? It's honestly one of the easiest things that we can do for ourselves. We like lay down and pass out. (laughs) So why do we fight it? Well, because I think that there's this substance out there that is the most abused substance in the world called caffeine. And that makes us forget that we're sleepy. And so people like to use caffeine to replace sleep on a fairly regular basis. And remember, when your brain is stimulated, whether it's caffeine or whatever, it has an effect, right? And it makes you keep moving and keep going. And you don't really think about sleep. It's kind of amazing. But if you think about it, if you could drink something and get your fitness all in one drink, you'd probably do that. Well, that's what people think coffee is. People think, oh, I'm tired. I just need a cup of coffee. They drink their coffee. They feel reasonably normal. And then they say, okay, well, I must just have needed a little caffeine when in fact, what they really needed was a good night's sleep. But it's, again, it's just very difficult for people to make those associations. I really look back on the last 10 years and there was so long that I was overriding all of my body's signals, whether it was caffeine or it was harder stuff. Like I was prescribed Adderall for a really long time. I used to have an eating disorder. All of these things were, it was hard to listen to my body. My body was not giving me (laughs) any signals anymore because it didn't trust me. And I'm wondering though, now that I'm more in tune with that, I feel that If I don't get sleep, I can feel it, even if it's an hour less. Is this because I'm now just in tune with my body or is something changing as I'm aging as well? Well, number one, you're not that old. So I don't (laughs) think that there's a whole lot 
that's going on from an aging process. My guess is, is that sleep has just become more of a noticeable priority for you, or you realize how much good it does you. And so that's why you start thinking, hey, is this a good idea? Is this not a good idea? I mean, I've all but almost eliminated alcohol because I used to like to have a couple, three glasses of wine. And I, over the course of time, I've figured out ways to have it not affect my sleep. But over time, I realized, hey, you know, this probably isn't the best idea for my body. And so that's kind of what happened. My guess is that's kind of what's going on with you is over the course of time, you're realizing, hey, this sleep thing is a pretty big deal. And it affects me in so many different areas and ways. I think I'll move forward with it and see if I can get some more of it. How did you actually get to the point of wanting to do that with three glasses of wine? I definitely still like having a few glasses of wine. And it's hard to get to that point of really weighing the pros and cons, especially when you can kind of mitigate the reactions. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest problem. And so what happened for me was I just kept waking up not feeling great. I slept fine. But that post-alcohol, not necessarily a hangover, but we know it affects the quality of our sleep. We know it affects our level of dehydration, and it just didn't feel good. I just decided, I hit 50 years old, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to stop doing things that don't feel good the next day. And uh, it was remarkable how much better I felt. (laughs) (laughs) So simple, yet so profound. (laughs) So let's talk about sleep rhythm, because I know we've talked about, or most people have heard about... REM periods of sleep, and there's all these different sleep cycles, but can you break them down for us? Absolutely. So there are stages, and then there are cycles. Stages are numbered one, two, three, and four, and then something called REM sleep. And then cycles are units of these stages put together. So as an example, you go from wake to stage one to stage two, down into stage three and four, back to stage two, and then on into REM sleep. That little dance maneuver is very specific. Your brain actually follows that specific pattern, number one. But that little kind of maneuver takes approximately 90 minutes. In the world of sleep medicine, we identify sleep cycles by REM periods. So every time you have a REM period, it's considered to be a sleep cycle. And generally speaking, we have five of those cycles across the night. So when we start to look at the stages of sleep, there are certain stages that are a little bit more important than others. Stages three and four is the physically restorative sleep. This is the wake up and feel fantastic sleep. Unfortunately, alcohol almost knocks this out completely. So one of the things that we want to do, especially if we're nursing an injury or we're training for an event or something like that, is you really want to limit alcohol in the evenings because it's just going to have a major effect on your ability to physically restore. REM sleep is really the mental restoration. This is really where we move information from our short-term memory to our long-term memory. We actually create an organizational substructure in our brain for information. And so what happens is your brain has to find the right filing cabinet with the right filing drawer with the right file to deposit that information. And that's what goes on at least one of the functions during REM sleep. So all of the sleep stages are important, but stages three and four, which we call deep sleep, And REM really appear to be the ones that are the most important in terms of what we know about them. And again, cycles average somewhere between 80 and 120 minutes, but a good average is about 90 minutes long. And most normal people have about five of those cycles. So if alcohol totally knocks out stage three and four sleep and we're not getting that physical restoration, does that mean that it's still not knocking out our mental restoration? Correct. That's correct. So as an example, if you switched from, so I live in California, if you switched from alcohol to cannabis, 
you would find that cannabis has much less of an effect on the physical restoration, but has a huge effect on REM sleep, the mental restoration. So again, it's kind of like pick your poison to understand what it's going to do. But the good news from an alcohol standpoint is, is there's a very simple methodology. You drink one glass of water for every alcoholic beverage to lower your dehydration, and then you give yourself one hour to digest each alcoholic beverage. So if you'd have two glasses of wine with dinner and you stop at eight, you wait two hours, it's 10 o'clock, you're good to go for lights out. So you just have to allow your body enough time to metabolize the alcohol. When it comes to sleep, I know that there's a lot of people I've talked to where they're like, I just can't really get that good of a night's sleep. It runs in my family. Is yep. sleep genetically determined? It is. So I have long family lines of patients and their, their grandmother didn't sleep, their mother didn't sleep, and now they don't sleep type of thing. We think this has to do with certain genetic components. There is actually certain DNA, what we call SNPs, that identify people who have just natural poor quality sleep. You can be born a person who just gets light, crappy sleep, and there's not a lot you can do about it other than avoid things like caffeine, alcohol, nicotine that make sleep even worse. So for some people, they're already starting kind of like behind the eight ball, if you will. That is terrible. <laughs> it's like, here, <laughs> go into this life. You're never going to feel very rested. Have fun. <laughs> right. Well, it's not that you're never going to feel rested. It's that you're already at a deficit. You're already getting lighter, crappier sleep. So then anything that you do in your lifetime, whether it's stay up extra half an hour or whatever, is going to have a pretty big effect. So ever since we met at that event, I oh. have totally overhauled my sleep routine, which I'm really stoked about. Oh, I love it. What'd you do? A few things. I definitely took to heart that alcohol tip if I'm having a glass of wine or two or sometimes three, right. I will wait that given amount of hours before I go to bed awesome. and drink a glass of water per glass of wine. It really makes such a difference. I also have been sleeping with an eye mask on just to have the total blackout effect. Yep. So remind us why that's so important. So it turns out that light is probably the biggest problem for sleep, even more so than sound. Because what happens is when light hits your eye, there are special cells in your eye called melanopsin cells. These cells turn on or off the melatonin faucet in your brain. So by using an eye mask, you actually basically eliminate all the light sources that could be telling your brain to stop producing melatonin. Remember, melatonin is kind of that key that starts the engine for sleep. So we always want that being produced at night. So by using an eye mask, you really eliminate any of those outside effects. If there's one topic that keeps coming up in my women's circles, it's our hormones. Frankly, I think that between years of birth control or beauty products that mess with endocrine function, a lot of us are just out of whack. Estro Control is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. It has science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health, especially in women who suffer from PMS. The way EstroControl eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients support the liver, and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when the estrogen isn't processed well in the liver, women may start having PMS, spots on the skin, they get cravings, they feel low all of a sudden. Estro Control was created to help women feel like themselves all throughout the month because PMS can basically rob us of a week of our lives every month. 
totally not fair. Estrogen control is made specifically for women who are premenopausal. So it's perfect for women that haven't entered menopause yet. And in fact, it's amazing for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can turn into a beast. I have been relearning myself postpartum. I just started my period again when my baby was 10 months and I forgot how wild these hormone changes can be. I wanted something to just maintain optimal hormone levels and help with mild mood swings. And Estro Control is perfect for this. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com with promo code MINDLOVE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use promo code MINDLOVE for 15% off your first order. I have always been someone who's prioritized wellness. Well, at least what I understood about it at the time, which has definitely evolved. But now I live in a town where some of my conveniences just aren't as accessible as when I lived in L.A. Then I found Aloe Moves and my whole experience changed. I've been an avid yogi for 16 years, but frankly, I am just underwhelmed by most online yoga. Their flows are either too easy or not varied enough. Well, Aloe Moves has everything. Of course, they have an endless selection of beginner content, since that is the category most people fall into, but they even have advanced and yoga teacher-focused content. They are the only online platform that I can find that I can narrow down the time that I'm looking for precisely. Like, I have 38 minutes today. What you got? <laughs> they have something for every mood. Trying to get a good sweat? Try their award-winning workouts like sweat-inducing yoga flows, hit classes, or reformer Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and even journaling for those quiet moments. And when it comes to sleep, it's just as important as fitness and nutrition. Ever since I watched The Art of Sleep on Aloe Moves, I've been falling asleep faster and staying asleep longer. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Aloe Moves. Go to alomoves.com now and use code MINDLOVE for an exclusive 30-day free trial and enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alomoves.com code MINDLOVE. Alomoves.com code MINDLOVE. Speaking of melatonin, I have this specific melatonin spray that you can like spray in your mouth uh -huh. and it's supposed to help you sleep a little bit deeper. How does melatonin work? And if we already are naturally producing melatonin, are these extra sprays or pills or whatever helpful? Are they necessary? So this is a great question, fairly controversial for people out there, but so let's break it down. So first of all, let's look at melatonin in particular. And remember everybody, there are lots of different sleep aids. There are prescription, there are over-the-counter, there are supplements, but we're talking about melatonin and that's a pretty popular one. So let's stick with that. So first of all, melatonin is a hormone. Most people don't know that. They think it's an herb or a supplement. It's actually a hormone. Like you wouldn't walk down to the local health food store and say, hey, I'd like a little testosterone or a little estrogen, right? You know, <laughs> this doesn't work that way, but yet you can walk down and get some melatonin. So number one, buyer beware. Number two, it's not regulated by the FDA, which means I can make it in my garage and I can sell it at the local health food store. And that's a perfectly legal thing to do. So quality becomes an issue. The third big issue is dosage. 95% of the dosages that are seen in the marketplace are in an overdosage format. So mm. most people need somewhere between a half and one and a half milligrams based on the data that came out of uh, Dr. Wortman's lab at MIT. And most of it is in three, five, even 10 milligram dosages. And that's when you start to see things like 
nightmares, crazy dreams, effects with heart, with uh, blood pressure medications. So you really want to be careful and get the right dose. And then finally, timing turns out to be a big deal. So you mentioned that you have a liquid. Well, if you put a liquid under your tongue and you leave it there for about a minute, it'll get into your brain in about 30 minutes. But if you take a pill, it's got to go all the way down your throat, all the way into your stomach, get digested, and then go all the way back up to your brain. And that takes almost 90 minutes to accomplish that task. So if you're going to use melatonin, I personally recommend the liquid dropper use. But your question was, do we even need it? Most people make plenty of melatonin. The only time we see melatonin be really effective from a deprivation standpoint is in our senior population. So I do have some seniors, not all, but I have some where melatonin production has actually slowed down pretty significantly. So we add it as a supplement just to get them back to normal levels. Usually I see this occurring when people are in like the 55 age range and above. So for many of my clients in that age range, I'm recommending melatonin nightly, the liquid format about 30 minutes before bed. Also, I see melatonin is very useful for jet lag. Um, that's really the best place to use it. And to be clear, melatonin is not a sleep initiator. Melatonin is a sleep regulator. So there's a difference between that. Melatonin doesn't make you feel sleepy. Melatonin makes your brain think it's bedtime. Those are actually two very different functions in your brain. And so people need to be aware that melatonin is not a sleeping pill. Melatonin is a, I'm going to teach my brain a new bedtime pill. And that, that's really where the big difference lies. There is a secondary population where I do recommend melatonin, and I have seen it be helpful at large dosages, and that's in children who are on the autism spectrum. There's been a significant amount of data to show that between three and five milligrams in these children before bedtime can actually be quite helpful for them. So that might be another sort of special population, if you will. I've noticed that it seems that more women complain to me that they have a hard time sleeping than men. Or is that just my perception? Or do you notice any differences between the way men and women sleep? Well, those are two different questions, actually. So what we find is women are more vocal about their sleep problems than men. But when we actually look at true prevalence rates, they're much closer than you might imagine. A lot of guys just kind of suffer in silence. They don't like to talk about their sleep. You know, it's not macho to say, I, don't, I can't sleep well, that kind of stuff. So I think that's really where we see the difference is just in the reporting, not necessarily in the true statistics. So can our sleep cycles or rhythm be deregulated in a way where we are actually getting too much REM sleep. I feel like I've read about something like that before, but I can't really remember what it was about or what complications it might have caused, or is that even a thing? So I'm not sure. I've never heard of anybody getting too much REM sleep. Remember, your brain kind of regulates which stage based on its needs. So it will, and if it's thinking that you're going to sleep an average amount of, let's say, seven hours, then it kind of doles out the sleep as your brain sort of requires it. I've never heard of a situation where somebody's gotten too much REM sleep. I have heard of situations where some of the aspects of REM sleep are not working correctly. So as an example, we know that we dream quite a bit during REM sleep, about 80% of the time, and that we're paralyzed during that time in order to not act out our dreams. So one of the things that's important to realize is that there is something called REM behavior disorder which is where that paralysis mechanism no longer works and people actually act out their dreams. This can be a fairly big problem, especially if there's a bed partner involved, but also from a safety 
perspective because we want people to be, you know, be safe while they're sleeping. That's so interesting because there's also the disorder where people will wake up and their body is still paralyzed. Correct. So that's called sleep paralysis. And that's also a leftover remnant from REM sleep. And a lot of times what happens there is people actually, believe it or not, they just wake up too quickly. And so that paralysis is hanging on. So in REM behavior disorder, there's no paralysis. In sleep paralysis, it's kind of hanging on into the waking state for a few moments, which can be a little disconcerting for people as well. So the first thing I ever learned about sleep was when I was a child, I remember hearing, you know, don't keep a TV in your room because then you'll associate watching TV with your bed. And it was basically like making a ceremony about your sleep. What are your thoughts about going to bed with the TV on? So I'm the only sleep doctor in the universe that's okay with television. I really am. I tell people all the time. I mean, to be honest, I fall asleep with the TV on. So it would be really hard for me to tell people you can't fall asleep with the TV on if the sleep doctor himself is doing it. So what does that mean and why does that happen? I do it because my wife falls asleep with the television on. And when I studied her and tried to understand why she does that, what I discovered is, is she's not really watching it. She's actually listening to it. And it's really just a distraction technique. It's just a methodology for her to not pay attention to her ever buzzing brain, listening to an old episode of Seinfeld and being able to just kind of relax and, and let the natural sleep process take over. So I'm not absolutely opposed to television. What I am opposed to, though, is you trying to get your high score on Candy Crush on your phone or scrolling through Facebook. And you're probably going to say, well, what's the real difference here? The big difference is engagement, right? If you're listening to television with your eyes closed, that's a very different scenario than trying to get a high score on a game. So I feel like television is okay, but more mental activity is probably not a good idea. So around that kind of creating a, not ceremony, but like a ritual with yeah. your bedtime, is that something that you recommend to do? Or is it just, should we go to bed when we're tired? No, absolutely not. You should go to bed at the roughly the same time and wake up the same time every single day if you can. If I give people one piece of advice, it's consistency of your wake-up time. That turns out to be incredibly, incredibly important. I get it if it's Friday or Saturday night and maybe you want to stay out late or go to the movies or what have you. But when you start to look at what really moves the needle and what really affects sleep, it's keeping a consistent wake-up time. That really turns out to be incredibly, incredibly important and allows for people to hopefully be able to wake up feeling refreshed. So, so far we have that if you're drinking alcohol, drink water, take an hour break for each glass that you have, sleep with the sleep mask and try to go to bed at the same time every single night. And it's okay to watch TV, but not <laughs> scroll on social media. Now, what about waking up? We're waking up roughly at the same time every day. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, there's these sleep cycle apps that gently wake you up at a certain time compared to the blaring alarm, compared to waking up to melodic birds chirping. Right. What do you recommend with that? So there's never been any data to look at how you wake somebody up as it being more pleasant or not. There has been specialized clocks that can monitor your sleep cycle and try to wake you up in a lighter stage of sleep. That's been fairly popular and occasionally works out. But generally speaking, I tell people you want something that's 
I think light is probably the best way to do it. So like those sunrise alarm clocks, those are actually a great idea in most cases. Or sleeping with your blinds open so that the natural light comes in and slowly wakes you up in the morning, that's a great idea. But my morning routine for people is pretty consistent. Is I, I want them to keep a water by the side of their bed. So when you wake up in the morning, you want to sit up and swing your legs over the end of the bed and just sit there for a second to kind of get oriented. I have people take five or six deep breaths just to kind of get your respiration going and feeling good. Then I have people stand up and do an inversion stretch. So kind of hang over to get down towards your toes just for a few seconds to kind of loosen up your back, do a couple stretches and then grab that water and go over to the window. And while drinking a full bottle of water, I want you to get 15 minutes of sunlight. Remember, we were talking earlier in that light helps turn off the melatonin faucet. So this is one of those ways that you can help get rid of some of that brain fog that so many people experience in the morning time. So water, because you're dehydrated, most people don't know this, but just the humidity in your breath, you will lose approximately one liter of water every night. So you're helping with the dehydration, you're resetting that circadian clock by getting sunlight, and by waking up at the same time, you're really in great shape. So when we're trying to figure out what our ideal bedtime and wake-up time is, it seems, of course, it would be different for different people. How do you recommend that we start to figure out the best time for us? Because, you know, I think sometimes people feel like they're a nighttime person or people feel like they're a morning person. But I have changed over the years, probably more so because of my partying habits or whatever my age (laughs) really was focusing on. So is there a time that's better for different people? Is it just based on our activity? How do we figure that out? So there's really two ways to do this. You can do this in a general sense, or you can do this more specifically. In a general sense, we know that the average sleep cycle is 90 minutes long. And we know that the average person has five of those. So five times 90 is 450 minutes divided by 60 to give us hours is seven and a half hours. We know that most people have a socially determined wake up time. So most people wake up at the same time, at least during the week. In my house, we get up around 615, 630 to get kids up, start getting the dogs ready, that kind of thing. So I take 630, I count back seven and a half hours, and that puts me at 11 o'clock to fall asleep. This is a very simple methodology. So just take your wake up time, count backwards seven and a half hours, and this becomes your new bedtime. Now I did this, and to be honest with you, it didn't go over so well. In fact, it actually failed, and I'll explain why. So I went to bed at 11, and instead of waking up at 6.30, which is when I wanted to wake up, I woke up at 5.30. Tried it again, went to bed at 11, woke up at 5.30. So my body really didn't want more than six and a half hours of sleep, And to be fair, that's how a lot of people's bodies work. It turns out that my sleep cycle isn't 90 minutes long. It's like 81 minutes long. The way I was able to tell that is, number one, I work in a sleep lab, so it wasn't that difficult. But you can use the tracker or things like that to start to figure out what your cycle length is, and that can give you a good understanding. That's a good general concept. But if you notice, it didn't work very well for me. So what I did was I advanced my bedtime and went to bed at midnight and then discovered I'd start waking up at 6.30. So you got to play around with it a little bit. And in the general sense, if you want to get super duper specific, what you need to do is learn what your chronotype is. So for folks out there who've never heard of the word chronotype, this is kind of that concept you were mentioning earlier, which is early bird, night owl, in the middle, that kind of thing. My most recent book, The Power of When, is all about chronotypes and how to pick the perfect time to literally do just about anything. So I recommend that people head on over to my online quiz at chronoquiz, 
dot com. That's C-H-R-O-N-O-Q-U-I-Z dot com. And from there, people can really have a good understanding of what is their chronotype. Because you take a quiz, it takes about two minutes, and then you'll get an email back from me that gives you all the information you could ever want about your chronotype. So then you can actually plot out a better bedtime and wake-up time if you want to get more specific. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And get this, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? Two words, living intentionally. We have to take full responsibility for every area of our lives, including our health, which also includes our air. And that's why I love my air doctor. As a reminder, when you support my sponsors, you also support the show. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants, so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants like allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I live in the mountains, and our air is pretty great. When I drive home, I can witness myself rising above the cloud of pollution that covers the rest of Southern California. But I know that even in the mountains, my home traps in the contaminants that my family brings inside. Plus, just sleeping one night with my air doctor, I could actually feel the difference. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe-easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund, minus shipping. So head to Air Doctor Pro and use promo code MIND, and depending on the model, you'll get up to $300 off. You're saving up to $300. Lock this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code MIND. That's promo code M-I-N-D. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. So what exactly does your chronotype tell you? Like, why should people take this quiz? So a chronotype is actually your body's internal genetic propensity for wake and sleep. 
And so not only does it tell you what time to go to bed and what time to wake up, but it actually teaches you the perfect time to do just about anything. In my book, The Power of When, I teach people the perfect time to have sex, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise, like literally you name it. You'll learn exactly where your hormonal schedule is and then certain times of day where it's more preferable to do certain activities, naturally you'll just do them better. So would that be time of day, time of year, time of month? Time of day, actually, believe it or not. Interesting. That's so cool because there's so much that I've been studying about working with my woman's cycle about different times to do things. And it really does make a difference, like when my creativity is going to be surging, when I'm going to want to be permitting. And so that kind of works the same, but on a day scale, correct? Correct. Exactly. And so it's hard to give specific recommendations until I know somebody's chronotype and things like that. But the book does a really good job of that. And it's kind of one of those fun books where once you learn your chronotype, you can start to skip around and pick. You don't have to read this thing cover to cover. You can go straight to the chapter on sex, which apparently is the most popular chapter. You could go to the chapter on caffeine. You can go to the chapter on alcohol. Like There's all kinds of different ideas here to show you just basically when to do what for your body. So I remember reading about somebody who was trying to play with their sleep cycles in a way where they were sleeping like a couple of hours and then waking up and being productive and then sleeping again. And it was like this 24 hour cycle, which to me seems miserable, but does something like that work? Is it beneficial? So here's what's interesting about that is it's possible. I'm not convinced that it's beneficial. It's called polyphasic sleep. Tim Ferriss talks about it. It's been all over the internet for years, but the truth of the matter is, is what for most people, polyphasic sleep is not a great idea. Now, to be fair, There are millions of people who actually have a polyphasic sleep schedule. They live in Latin America, they sleep at night, and then they have a siesta during the daytime. That's a mild form of polyphasic sleep, which is actually very socially acceptable and works out quite well. It's when you really start to lower the amount of sleep at night, where you go to down to four hours or three and a half hours at night, and then you're taking multiple naps during the day. This is a very potentially dangerous schedule for people. And so I'm always very hesitant when people are asking me, hey, Michael, can you help me develop a polyphasic sleep schedule? I've probably developed them for maybe maybe a dozen people in my career. And only one person's ever been able to keep the schedule without either having a major depressive episode or just not being able to deal with it because of travel or different social commitments or things like that. So it's a very, very strict schedule. And to be honest with you, most people, they just don't last. I'm also curious about dreams. Some people remember their dreams. Some people don't. Lately, for some reason, it's really odd. Last week, I had like four really bad nightmares in a row. And I don't watch scary movies before I go to bed. I wasn't really that stressed out. So what really affects our dreams? So while I don't do dream interpretation, what we do understand is that most people dream about topics that are things that have been recent to them. So if you saw a scary movie, then maybe you would dream about something like that. Sometimes dream content can be very bizarre. And what happens is, is a piece of information that you're trying to put into your long-term memory kind of gets misguided, attaches itself to something else. And then all of a sudden it pops up in your head. You know, we really don't have a great understanding of exactly how dreams work because they're almost impossible to study. But we do know that people have stress dreams and then people have nightmares, and then people have just regular old vivid dreams. 
So stress dreams are repetitive dreams that have a tendency to occur, generally speaking, when you're stressed out. Nightmares are ones where there's some type of a violent content usually, or there's a persecution, somebody's trying to come after you. And then just regular dreaming is regular old dreaming. Uh, Nobody's really been able to come up with a great methodology yet to be able to predict when somebody's going to have a bad dream. There are some good nightmare treatments out there, but that's kind of a different story. Oh, I've heard that dreams do help with processing. Maybe it's those stress dreams, whatever. Have you noticed a difference in really the general lives of people who remember their dreams or who don't? Or is it does it not really matter? I've never found it mattering one way or another. Most people don't remember all of their dreams. And that's because you have a tendency to remember the dreams when you wake up in the middle of one of them. But if you wake up in, for example, stage two, where you have far less of a likelihood of dreaming, you're probably not going to remember your dreams. If I put electrodes on your head while you were sleeping and I knew exactly when you were in REM sleep and walked over and woke you up, you would remember your dreams. But the processing aspect of REM sleep is going to occur whether you remember your dreams or not. Remember, you're moving information from your short-term memory to your long-term memory. So it's kind of coagulating, if you will, or, or intermixing with other pieces of information. That's why the old adage of sleeping on it before you make a big decision is probably a good idea. <laughs> so true. I always try to sleep on something, especially if I'm upset with somebody trying to send some email, sleep on it first. I come to it with a whole new mindset. I agree. So I want to go back to something you said about the possibility of the sunrise alarm or sleeping with the blinds open. That makes it kind of difficult to do if we are trying to have blackout sleep with an eye mask on. Which one is more important, sleeping in the full dark or waking up to the sunlight? I would argue it all depends upon if you have a problem falling asleep. Most people don't have insomnia. So if you don't have a problem falling asleep, then waking up from the sunlight is a great natural way to do it. If you do have insomnia and you have a lot of difficulty falling asleep, then an eye mask like what you're using might be more appropriate or trying to get it as close to pitch black as you can. The biggest issue with falling asleep in a pitch black room is it's really hard to wake up. Yeah, I know. I tried the blackout curtains first and it was really, really difficult. It was like I would lay in bed longer than I ever have. Right. And so now with the eye mask, it's pretty easy because when I wake up, I'll just move it up. And if I'm still laying down for a minute, at least I still have a little bit of sunlight coming through my eyelids. But what about pressing the snooze button too many times? Have you noticed like if, Such a bad if there's idea. a difference? Bad idea. So we should just get up the first time. Absolutely. So the average snooze is between seven and nine minutes long. And so people can't actually get back into a good deep sleep during that period of time. And so that's really where the problem sort of comes in. So what I tell people all the time is, look, if you have to hit the snooze, hit it once and once only, because otherwise you're just giving yourself light, crappy sleep. Oh, that's a good point. I always wondered why it seemed like the more I pressed snooze, the more tired I almost seemed. It's like if I would have got up the first place, I was like still kind of energized. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Much better shape if you had just gotten up at that time. I've also heard that there's skin light receptors or there's light receptors in our skin that could possibly affect how deep of a sleep we're going into at night. Do you know anything about that? I do. The data on it has been kind of all over the place. You feel heat on your skin and you can feel light on your skin. Yes, you do have photoreceptors in your skin, but the truth of the matter is, is your eyeballs are really where it's at when it comes to light. So I have a tendency to not 
really buy into a lot of that. You don't want light anywhere on your body. It really is more from the eyes than anything else. So, of course, I know that everyone wants to know about the caffeine thing, because like you said, it seems to be one of the biggest problems. Sure. So how are we to appropriately use caffeine as a tool instead of something that's just getting in the way of our lives? So there's really two aspects to it is when do you start it? and When do you stop it? So in order to get out of a state of unconsciousness, the body needs two hormones, it needs adrenaline and cortisol, and they both have to be fairly high. If you take somebody who's woken up because they've had adrenaline and cortisol increase, and then you add caffeine to that mixture, if you compare adrenaline and cortisol to caffeine, that's like comparing cocaine to weak tea, right? So caffeine really does almost nothing for you right after you wake up. However, if you wait just 90 minutes, the cortisol and the adrenaline begin to drop. Then if you add caffeine, it actually gives you a bigger boost and can actually give you more energy. So just waiting 90 minutes after you wake up to drink your first caffeinated beverage is probably a good idea. When you look at it, the other side of the equation, when should you stop? I'm usually recommending that people stop caffeine by about 2 p.m. The reasoning behind this is quite simple. For the average individual, it takes them between six and eight hours for to get half of the caffeine out of their system. So if you get half of it out in eight hours and you stop at two, that's about 10 o'clock. And that's roughly an average bedtime for most people. So that's usually why I'm, I'm saying you need to stop by two. So as an example, if you wake up at 6.30, you can start drinking caffeine by eight and you probably want to stop by two. So I used to pride myself on the fact that, well, I don't know why it was such a source of pride, but I it was like, you know, caffeine doesn't really affect me. I thought it was because of all those years on Adderall. And I was like, right. no comparison, Adderall versus caffeine, right. child's play. Yeah. But it was that true at all. I, I used to think I could just go to bed after a shot of espresso and I would be able to fall asleep. But is there something deeper happening? So the answer to your question is yes. Lots of people, when I tell them you need to stop drinking caffeine by two, they think in their head, huh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I can drink a cup of coffee at dinner and fall right to sleep. Remember, sleep is not just a quantity game. It's also a quality game as well. So that being said, remember that if I put electrodes on your head after you drank that coffee and you went to sleep, you would not be getting that good, refreshing, physically restorative sleep, that stage three, four sleep. So that's definitely part of the issue. So I would argue that while you might be able to fall asleep, the sleep that you're getting really isn't all that good. So caffeine and alcohol limit way before bedtime. <laughs> but you mentioned that cannabis might be a little bit more helpful. I was kind of case studying with my husband and we were noticing that we thought there could be a difference between sativa and indica strands. When I would smoke a heavy indica, I felt like I would wake up groggier. Do you know any differentiations about those two or about weed in general for our sleep quality? Absolutely. So the big factor here is, so first of all, indica has a greater tendency to give you more of a body relaxation high as opposed to more of a mental stimulation high. So sativa has a tendency to do that more than indica. But to be fair, when people are out there and they're going to dispensaries, there's very few, if any, pure indica out there or pure sativa out there. Almost everything is a hybrid. So number one is you want to really understand what it is that you're utilizing for sure. But number two is there's a ratio that nobody's actually figured out just yet. 
to look at. But what you really want is you want a decent CBD to THC ratio. Some people look at things like two to one. Some people look at eight to one. It really seems to vary quite a bit. But you do need some level of THC to help get the CBD in. But believe it or not, THC and CBD are not the things that help you with your sleep. It's something called CBN. CBN, which is actually oxidized THC, turns out to be incredibly helpful for sleep. But you have to look and make sure that the manufacturer has actually put CBN into the distillate. Otherwise, you may not be getting any of it. So I know that you travel a lot and so do I. So there's a big thing with jet lag, especially as people are going between time zones. How do we deal with jet lag without just burning ourselves out? So my favorite tool for that is something that we can give to all of your listeners for free. It's called Time Shifter. So if you go over to the app store on whatever device you have and you look up Time Shifter, what you'll discover is this is an app that actually creates a schedule that tells you when to use melatonin, caffeine, light, and napping, all topics that we've been covering during your podcast, in a very particular order so that you don't get jet lag. So that's usually what I'm recommending to most of my patients is to try the Time Shifter app. And the good news is if you use the code the sleep doctor, you get the first two jet lag plans for free. Oh, amazing. Definitely going to be linking to that in the show notes. So listeners can go there and I'll have a direct link to both of the tools, the chronotype quiz and the time shifter app. I also wanted to ask about your personal sleep kit. As you are traveling around, do you use any physical tools that help you help make sure that you're constantly getting proper sleep every day? I do. So I keep an eye mask, earplugs. I keep compression socks in my backpack because especially for long flights, those can be super helpful. I keep specialized meditation and relaxation music on my phone so that way if I need to listen to something, I can. I will tell you, recently I started playing around with these new noise cancellation earbuds that Bose came out with. I've been playing around with those. Those are actually pretty cool to try out as well. So what do compression socks actually do that help us sleep? It has more to do with flight than it does with sleep. And so I do a lot of international travel. I mean, you know, we're talking like six, eight, 10, 15 hour flights. And so what happens when you're sitting for that long is the blood by gravity will pool in your lower extremities. And this is where you can end up with things like a DVT or the lots of problems that occur. But by wearing compression socks, it actually keeps my blood flow going quite nicely. Also, to be fair, every 30 to 60 minutes, I stand up, I stretch, I walk around a little bit, unless it's an overnight flight where then I'm, you know, lying down and racking out. What about food before sleep? I've heard that having to digest food while we're trying to sleep could affect that. Does it disrupt more our digestion or our sleep or both? It depends on what you eat. So if you have like a 250 calorie snack, that's let's say 70% carbohydrates and let's say 30% fat and protein, that's going to make you feel sleepy. But if you have the opposite, where you have lots of protein, lots of fat, and few carbohydrates, it's actually going to be more alerting. Many people tell me like when they go completely keto or paleo, they end up having a hard time falling asleep because they feel so energized. That's not an uncommon side effect that we see people having from those. But you know, also looking at the timing of your last meal can be important because of blood sugar. 
many of my patients wake up at two or three o'clock in the morning and it turns out that their blood sugar is low because they, let's say, finish their meal at, I don't know, seven o'clock and they go to bed at midnight and then it's three o'clock in the morning. It's eight hours later and their body's wondering what's going on. For the people that do have that deep lull during, you know, the two o'clock or three o'clock lull, you say that you, we don't want to have caffeine after that time. So what is a better way to refresh ourselves? So are you talking about the daily lull or are you talking about people who wake up in the middle of the night? Oh, wow. Now I have both questions. <laughs> so if you're talking about that daily kind of lull in the afternoon, that's due to a mild temperature drop, which releases melatonin. So the best thing you can do is around one o'clock in the afternoon, instead of going for a coffee break, you should go for a sunshine break. Go outside and get some direct sunlight. This will actually help increase your core body temperature and prevent that melatonin production, and you'll actually wake up quite nicely. If, however, you're having a problem sleeping throughout the night and you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning, one of my favorite remedies is right before bed, I ask people to eat a teaspoon of raw honey. Now, you might be wondering, oh my gosh, what is he talking about? Well, raw honey is difficult for somebody to digest and it can actually keep their blood sugar stable all night long. If you're into paleo, keto, or you're diabetic and you don't want to eat honey, guava leaf tea, not guava juice and not guava fruit a guava leaf tea will do the same thing. You mentioned something at the event that we met at called the Napa Latte. Can you explain what that is? So for most of my CEOs and on-the-go people, I created this technique called the Napa Latte. So you go out and you get a cup of drip black coffee and you throw a couple ice cubes in it merely to cool it down. You don't want to add sugar or creamer because you don't want the dairy and you don't want the sugar. You down it as quick as you can, and then you immediately take a 25-minute nap. What this does is it allows enough stage one and stage two sleep to go by. The caffeine is sort of waiting in the wings. It slips into those receptor sites, and you're good for four hours, almost guaranteed. So it's a really simple tool, but be careful, guys. Like You don't want to do this every day. A nap -a latte is something I reserve for maybe once or twice a week, depending upon what my schedule looks like. Well, thank you so much for all of the wisdom that you shared. Like I said, I've transformed my sleep schedule with a lot of these tips after we met, and it has been making worlds of difference just in stabilizing my energy levels throughout the day, my moods, my productivity. So thank you for that. And for listeners who are resonating with you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? So if you want, you can go to my website, which is thesleepdoctor.com. If you want to learn your chronotype, go to chronoquiz.com. And I'm also just uh, releasing a new course online. So check it out at my website. I think you'll find it pretty amazing. All the links in this episode, including links to Dr. Michael Bruce's website and all of the sponsors mentioned are at mindlove.com slash 098. And I really hope you guys are convinced that you need a good night's sleep. For the longest time, this is something that I always tried skimping out on. I felt like sleep was a waste of time, which is crazy now that I think about it because it's when we are fully recharged for the next day. So as I said in the beginning of the episode, I now always make sure I prioritize my sleep. And it's crazy how much I feel it now even when I'm an hour off. So if something happens and I just can't get my eight hours of sleep in the night, I will take a nap. It just feels better. And I know I'm going to show up, be more productive, be in better spirits, and just be able to shine my true light if I'm well taken care of. 
I just read a post on Facebook that my friend and fellow speaker, Jeanette Brene, <laughs> wrote that said, I need self-care to be successful because I'm human. You are human. You are not a robot. So you need certain things in order to feel your best. You need to take care of yourself, just like your car needs an oil change and a coconut air freshener, obviously, because we're not Neanderthals. But yeah, so get your sleep. And I want to hear from you which sleep habits you are changing, what you're doing, and how it's feeling. So connect with me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa and tell me all about it. In fact, take a screenshot, share it on social media, and tag your friend who you know needs to sleep more. We all have them. We have a few of them. And guess what? They're probably a little bit cranky. So tag them, tell them that you care about them and that they need to sleep and share this episode. And if you have a moment and love the podcast, please head to iTunes and leave a five-star review. Those are so helpful for the growth of the show. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift.